I'm Eric Bricker, and I've been a psychotherapist for over 25 years. One thing I can tell you for certain is that no one makes it through life unscathed. At some point, many of us will rely on the trusted counsel of another person to help us navigate difficult times, or to reconcile the troubled past. Whether conventional or unconventional, professional or informal, there are a lot of different forms that helping relationships can take. This podcast is an exploration into what makes these relationships work. Who are the people that help us? How do they help us? And what do people need help with? My hope is to uncover as much as I can about this very human phenomenon, and I hope that you'll join me. This is the Good Counsel Podcast. I'm Eric Bricker, and this is the Good Counsel Podcast. Welcome, Rabbi Baruch Plotkin. Rabbi Baruch is the executive director or co-executive director and co-founder of the Lumi Israel Center for Jewish Life right here in Boca Raton, Florida. Rabbi, welcome. Thank you. I say co because my wife and I work together and uh, I serve as the rabbi. I guess she would be the executive director. She's also kind of a a rabbi too, but uh, we're together. We're partners All right. And I know it's very important to clarify that stuff, especially when it's on the record. Exactly. (laughs) I got you. She's probably going to hit listen, so I'll make sure. Yeah. And at the end of the day, like, it's the same thing in everyone's home. We all sort of like know who's in charge. Exactly. (laughs) Yeah. So the Good Counsel podcast, it's a podcast for helping professionals and helping professionals really has kind of a broad definition in the way that I mean it. And a lot of the people I interview are other therapists, people like myself, but there are different forms of help and there are different kinds of help that people need. And you're actually the first clergy that I've ever interviewed. And I thought of you specifically when you and I are meeting for a particular reason. So just a little background on our kind of shared history. I was introduced to you fairly recently by a mutual friend because you lead these trips through an organization called Momentum, these trips for adult men to Israel, many of whom are going for the first time and to explore and learn more about their Jewish heritage and the physical location and and history of, of the place itself. And I'm going on a trip that you are shepherding. I can't wait. Yeah, I'm really looking forward to it. <laughs> Me too. And in meeting the other guys who are going on the trip and hearing their reasons for wanting to go, there's a lot of depth to it. And there are a lot of these guys who are really searching to create more meaning in their lives, who are dealing with their own spiritual challenges. This is kind of serious business, and I know that this is something that you've been doing, guiding these trips for uh, some time now, and that it has great meaning to you. Mm-hmm. But really, it's a helping gesture. It really is like a workshop. I, I would say as much for personal development as it is for spirituality. Mm-hmm. And so I want to talk to you a little bit about your own history and how you came to be the person that does this today, because I know your path into being a rabbi was 
atypical. You were not somebody who did yeshiva as a young man. You actually went to the Emerson College in Boston, and I think you had designs on being a broadcaster. And there were some experiences that you had that sort of shifted your view of where you wanted to get to in life, and you ended up choosing a different path. Yeah. So so first of all, I concur with you completely. You know, the job of a rabbi is kind of similar to your job in that we're kind of, I, I see myself as a frontline you know, worker of social and emotional well-being for our community. That's really what, you know, rabbis are. And and to help people invest in what I would call, you know, covenantal relationships, you know, relationships that have mutual benefit, help others, you know, those types of things. Um, and then obviously, if we were dealing in some kind of situation where they were toxic, or they needed professional help, we would refer them out. But we're like kind of frontline helping people live healthy lives, you know. So, you know, you're right. When I was, I went to Emerson College, I wanted to be like a movie star. I wanted to be in TV, radio, like I was, I have strengths in communication and uh, really a passion to kind of like move people and, you know, think, I'm a thinker myself. And when I was in college, I had um, a kind of a, a tragedy one of our fraternity brothers was uh, shot and killed at a fraternity party. It was very traumatic at that time. I uh, He was someone that actually lived right next door to me. And um, that night before he was getting ready, he looked in the mirror, he looked at me, he said, how do I look, you know? And uh, the next day he was in a casket. And I was, you know, just really first time kind of death Kind of, uh, I never really even thought of death. I, I thought I'd always live. I had all my grandparents, had my parents. And so, you know, my own mortality for the first time really hit me. And I started to think about life. And what is this thing, life? And, you know, you might not be here tomorrow. My good friend who I thought would be here forever the next day was no longer here. And that was very, you know, I would say traumatic, but it made me think, and different people think in different ways. It didn't happen immediately, but I started to ask uh, serious questions. You want me to continue? Yes. Yeah, just keep going. Roll. I can roll. Yeah, so um, I the first thing was just asking questions about society and what people took as okay in society seemed like a little strange to me. Uh, I'll give you a basic example. You know, like before a person gets married, they'll have a bachelor party. So that like makes no sense to me. You know, like why would you do that before you're going to get married? You know, I thought you loved the person. So why are you going to go and act like an animal? You know, like with, so, you know, sometimes with these crazy bachelor parties. So there are a lot of things like that in society and the way people act in society that kind of were, didn't make sense to me. And, um, and, uh, I actually had the opportunity to go to Israel and, uh, it was actually, you know, there's always girls involved at that age. I was young <laughs> and, uh, you know, across the world and, uh, I didn't actually, you know, I went to Israel just to have fun. I had been working in, in the entertainment business 
it was a very interesting experience working in the entertainment business because I was with people who were kind of, some of them famous. So my first job out of college, I worked at Emerson. My first job was at uh, this, it was like an advertising PR firm called Cohen, Birmingham and Brown. But my account was Nick's Comedy Stop. So I would, my job would be to take comedians to radio stations and to get, you know, people that come to the club based on their driving, you know, comedy. He's playing tonight at Nick's Comedy Stuff. You know, that was well, like, well, that was probably during the era of Boston comedy. That was like the Nick, Nick DiPaolo and all those guys. All those guys. That was, I was a with, big, I that was was a li- big scene. I was literally with all these famous people. Yeah. And it wasn't just them. I mean, it was, there was a lot of people that were coming in and out of, you know, sitcoms and things like that. And I was taking them to the number one radio stations and it was a lot of fun. But what was interesting was some of, you know, the life experiences that they were having. You know, they were traveling around the country, often alone. And they would be at restaurants. People ask them for autographs. I would be out to dinner with them. People come over to the table. Can I have your autograph? They would sign an autograph. And then they'd be talking to me about how they hated their lives. And it was like so counterintuitive because here they were seemingly famous. And, you know, sometimes they made decent money. I mean, many of the guys struggled actually. But but some of them actually made decent money and they weren't necessarily happy. And that was very interesting to me. And so I went to Israel. And, um, and, you know, I was, I'll tell you an experience. I, I went to the Western Wall. There was this guy named Jeff Seidel. You might meet him on our trip when we go there. But he keeps, when, all these young people, when they travel and they backpack around Israel, he tries to set them up for Shabbat. And so he's like, you got a place for Shabbat? I'm like, nah, I don't need a place for Shabbat. Don't worry, you know. And uh, everywhere you go, there he is. You got a place for Shabbat? I'm like, I don't. So I actually went to Egypt on this trip, on this first trip to Israel. And when I was in Egypt, there was a uh, a CNN on the news there, and they had a report from Jerusalem, and the reporters reporting from Jerusalem. And I see this guy who's trying to get me to go for Shabbos in the background. And so when I went back to Jerusalem, he's like, you got a place for Shabbos? I'm like, okay, I'll go to your place for Shabbos. And I tried the Shabbat meal. And um, I went to these people's house. It's kind of funny now, but they had uh, maybe six kids. They were like, I didn't grow up wealthy, but middle class American. But they would be like what you would consider maybe like poor. And they had their kids in the the playpens in the living room. We were having Shabbat dinner. And there was like, these are very religious people, but very poor. But they were really happy. There was like joy in the room when we sang. And he blessed his children. He kissed them. And he sang to his wife. And it like hit me like a ton of bricks compared to like what I, how I was raised, you know, kind of in America where, you know, like family values and happiness and what makes you happy. And, you know, I just started to think about and, um, and how do I want to live my life and, and who do I want to be around? And, you know, we were having a conversation before we even started this about, um, about toxic people. And, um, and yeah, I was, you know, sometimes around people, especially in that business that were toxic. I mean, they would yell and scream. They were, it was nuts. 
sometimes, these people. And, um, and I wanted to be around healthy people. And believe it or not, and you can question all kinds of things about religion, and, you know, there are religious fanatics. But when I started learning about Judaism, it wasn't just the Judaism that was so interesting and exciting, but I was around people that wanted to be good people. You know, and maybe sometimes they weren't, but if they weren't, they would try to say they were sorry because that was part of trying to be a good person, you know. And so I was surrounding myself with what I would call healthy people and healthy habits. And 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 for me, that was something that really gelled with me. And, um, you know, I had spent a lot of money and a lot of investment in going to college, how to make a living, but here I was experiencing, it, more importantly, how to make a life. At any point in this experience, did you notice a moment of enlightenment or a shift of awareness? Like something that was spiritual or kind of like God? God. No, yeah. never. Never, no. No. Um for me, it's very rational. It's about social and emotional well-being. It's about achieving my goals. It's about choosing the right spouse. It's about having the right attitude with my spouse, you know, and putting that in the right perspective. And, you know, for me, religion is about, you know, kind of the way I see the world and understand the world and want to live in the world. That's interesting, and I think it's almost counterintuitive to the way most of us view spiritual conversions. Okay. You know, when someone shifts from being like more of a secular style of yeah. life to kind of giving yourself over to a religion, because it wasn't like you just were going to become a more observant Jewish person, you're going to go on to be an ordained rabbi. Yeah. That's a massive commitment and a massive, <laughs> and a massive shift. Yeah. And I became an Orthodox rabbi in Jerusalem. So, meaning, you know, I grew up, you know, you know the denominations, I don't know if I have to tell you, but, sure. uh, you know, I grew up as a conservative, normal American, went to regular college, I was in a fraternity. I mean, like I... I lived a very normal American life. And um, I found intellectually that it what religious life proposed made way more sense than kind of the upbringing that I was raised in, which like had flowing values. They kind of were like, it was kind of like, it was unsure values to me. And uh, people would say things. I mean, I don't know if you have a Jewish crowd. I'm I'm Jewish, so I I use those examples. But my and I'm sure Italians do the same thing. And you know, my mom used to say, "You have to marry a Jewish girl." So the question would be like, "Why?" <laughs> I don't understand. That sounds very I don't know racist or like oh, that doesn't make sense to me. I should marry anybody that I fall in love with that I have the same you know. So I wanted to understand why that was and you know does that make sense? And when I explored Judaism, the way that a man and a woman should treat each other, the way Jewish marriage understands how marriage should be, now it made a little bit more sense why I might want to. I think that's one of the things 
that often attracts people to religion and not just Judaism, but other religions as well, where it's the discipline and the order and the structure that helps you make sense of a world that often makes very little sense. Exactly. And I think that's probably some of the seeking that's going on with people like myself who are going on these trips to have these exposures, to learn more about the heritage and to become spiritually more connected. I mean, it seems to me as I look in the social media world and the world of media in general, that everybody would be searching for something of more meaning and more order because we do seem to live in a world. I mean, you know, all the kinds of things that I looked back and saw 30 years ago were much more subtle than they are today. Today, those same exact things that I saw as kind of like things that I didn't want in my life are exaggerated in the world today. There is no order. There is no sense of morality. There is no kind of like, there is no sense of what I would call covenantal relationships. You know, relationships where people have a relationship to help others. You know, everybody's what's in it for me. How do I advance? How do I get more power? How do I make more money? Not what is my civic responsibilities? How can I contribute to a better world? How can I, you know, make the community better? How can be? How can I be a better friend? How can I, you know, those are things that really, in the end of the day, you know what, make us happy. And um, so when I started thinking about life, what makes me happy, what right, right? Here's guys that are famous and rich are not happy. Here's people that are, a little, you know, less on the financial but are happy. And so, like, I just had questions. And by the way, I started to find in religious people a certain strangeness either. I found my own path within the religious community as well. You know? Well, I think any religion you could say that <clears throat> that it's a massive group of people yeah and there are different, different groups within it groups within the group and it's not being jewish being christian being muslim it's not all one thing it's going to have a lot of different interpretations of what what the practice is and then your adherence to the practice and then your your family culture and all these different things so for you kind of finding this on your own you really had to sort of navigate a lot and find your your own path in this to get to where you are now which sounds like even a bit different than the religious path that you started on the path that I'm on now yeah yeah I definitely have as a rabbi come come back kind of settled back with my people so to speak here, I'll tell you what I mean by that. I, I kind of grew up with regular non-religious people. When I originally became a rabbi, I was ordained as an Orthodox rabbi, so I was working in an Orthodox community with Orthodox people. And so even though I was a rabbi and an Orthodox rabbi, I, I didn't feel... Like that was my place, so to speak. I felt counterfeit. Like I didn't grow up like this, you know. I inadequate maybe as a rabbi. I don't know. I um, that must have been a real challenging situation. I would have to imagine because you're in the thick of it, an Orthodox community, an Orthodox rabbi 
having been trained in Jerusalem. I was trained in Jerusalem and ordained in Jerusalem. And having been among the most observant people. Yeah. How do you transition into a different situation that you feel like speaks to you more genuinely for your own perspective? Well, I mean, thank God that I think is what it means to be a spiritual person, right? So we, spiritual people are more soulful, right? So in Judaism, we believe we're made of a body and a soul, right? So our bodies, they take on roles in life, right? Like even a rabbi is a role. But like if you're a, I don't know, I'm a lawyer or I'm a a therapist, I'm a teacher, I'm a, they're all different roles that we play, you know, in, in life. But I think the people that are most successful is when they can bring their unique self to any of those roles. They bring their soul to the role. So I'm actually really glad that you said that because this is a conversation that I have frequently with my colleagues, other therapists, and that the real challenge in therapy is to bring your humanness to the role and still be professional or to have, understand the professional tenets and techniques but never lose your humanness in the process. And I think that really good therapists, the ones that I know, are able to do that, to be able to kind of like administer therapy in a way that feels very human and connected Mm -hmm. so that the person who's experiencing this relationship doesn't feel like they're having a technique administered to them, which would be very, very sterile. And I think that really sort of undermines what was intended in the process Mm -hmm. to begin with. Mm -hmm. You have to be authentically yourself. You know, people feel that and, um, it comes across, I think. I, I, I mean, I don't know. In the therapy, you know, because you may want to keep a professional distance, you know. I don't know. But it seems like, uh, yeah, people people want to connect in a real way to other people. And uh, that's, that's what I found. I wanted to be with people that I could connect with, that I felt connected with. I wanted to be genuine and real and true to myself. And... Uh, you know, I found always when I did that, I've, I've, I've gone on to better places. You know, it's really interesting. When I was, I did very well with that Orthodox community. I wasn't asked to leave. You know, it was an inner feeling. It wasn't, a, you know, I was really beloved. Um, and uh, I actually made the decision to leave. It was my decision to go and, you know, um, I got a fellowship at Hebrew University and I ended up leaving and, and going off. And um, and I often thought about it, but now that I look back, like I understand exactly the reason why I felt the way I did when I was going through it. I was like, it seemed like everything should have worked out, you know, it should have been right, but I was feeling not right. And now, looking back, because I feel like I was true to myself, I understand the reason why I wasn't feeling. I, I wasn't truly being myself. And and so now, I actually, we're building a community, my wife and I, and we're building it by taking 
people to Israel in the same trip that inspired me the same way I went to Israel. It inspired me, you know, I was able to explore myself outside of America, kind of, and look at a different culture and then kind of like compare and contrast and take what I wanted and what I didn't want. When I met you at the Lumi property okay, and got the sense of what it was that was happening there, it was clear that this was somebody's vision. Yeah. That you were doing something. Yeah. Our vision. (laughs) Yeah. That you were doing something, that it was like some inspired vision. And you kind of get a feel for it when you're there, when you see the other people that are attracted to it, the conversations that are had. Uh, My wife has attended, my wife who also participated in one of the women's momentum trips, uh, has participated in some of the community activities at the center. And so you get a feel for it, and it really compels like a certain curiosity when I'm there. Yeah. And a lot of people at the very beginning, you know, because we're like around the corner from Woodfield and some of these like country clubs, they're like, what is going on out there? Is it like some kind of cult? Like everybody comes away really inspired from our Shabbat table and from what we're doing. And it's really just being authentic. And Well, even the location. Yeah, well, that's probably kind of cool also. It's different. Yeah, even the location, because I drove in off the long road. Yeah. And you don't see dirt roads, so, long dirt roads with potholes in them <laughs> in this general area. And I'm driving through there. I'm thinking to myself... Uh, this would be a good place for like a meth lab. (laughs) (laughs) I thought you were going to say the Baal Shem Tov, like a Hasidic master in the old country. Yeah. You know what? I'm, I'm, I'm not right, man. I'm not right. I'm not right. I watch a lot of movies and things. When I see isolated areas, this is what goes in my mind. But I'm driving through there and then all of a sudden you come upon this really beautiful property and where there's gardens, and I know that my my wife participated in this like community gardening planting, and you look around and it's really nice. And I think you've got this incredible spot, yeah. you know. And we talked a lot about the property while we were there, but it's uh, it's really beautiful. And- the property was a blessing that it came as part of the vision, you know. Like when you open yourself up and you're authentic, and you know you kind of do God's work, then a lot of very blessed things happen to you. That's how I feel, at least. That's what happened here. So, yeah, we have a five-acre farm where we're able to kind of have this platform to to do all the different things that inspired us um, to help people inspire, you know, themselves and to kind of look at themselves in new ways. And I'll explain. I'll tell you kind of the, the format here. It really, for me, roles have a lot to do with it. Because we play these roles, right? And we have different roles, characters that we play. So I was an acting major. I went to Emerson. <laughs> right. Right, you can hear it. I, yeah. I, but I, So, like, I'll give you roles. I'm a rabbi, but I'm also a dad, but I'm also a son to my mother, but I'm also a husband to my wife. I'm a friend to, like you, my all my friends, right? I have all different relationships depending on, you know, who you are in terms of your relationship with me, right? Does that make sense? 
some people, they like zero in on one of those relationships and they may neglect others, right? Right? Like, so football players, all they care about is football, 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 right? But what happens if a star athlete blows out his leg? You know, you'll get, you know, Aaron Rodgers. It just happened, right? It's like, who am I now that I don't play football anymore? I mean, Aaron Rodgers will always be Aaron Rodgers. But for some guys that are college athletes, if they're not an athlete, who are they? It's really interesting. People that were um, financial advisors in the late 80s, when the market crashed, they jumped out the window. Do you know that? In the, in the why in Wall Street, a lot of wounded uh, soldiers who have to take retirement from the military, they go through what is called transitional trauma because you lose your a, status of being like a captain, yeah, and or being, colonel. And being part of this community of people, yeah. and it's a whole identity and way of life. And it's not just the physical injury, it's the loss of support and community that comes with being. And how you're viewed, right? When you're, let's, I don't even know, whatever, whatever job it is, you're the CEO of a company, and now they fire you, and you go, and now you're no longer, and they bring in a new CEO. Who are you? You're like, everybody used to look at you a certain way, they acted to you a certain way. Right. And, um, and now who are you that you don't have that? A lot of people struggle with this. And, um, so, you know, Judaism, we never get too, too dependent on our roles. We try to bring our soul to the different roles because the roles change. They're all temporary. Those aren't real. You know, there's a temporary world that we live in. And as we get older, you know, we lose our jobs. That, that's one of the things when we get to this trip. Right, that we're taking. We're an age where we're, you know, 55, some of the guys, 50 years old. They've been working for 30 years. They're looking at retirement. Like, who am I if I no longer am a therapist? If I'm no longer a lawyer? Am I like, who am I anymore? And, uh, so, you know, we kind of take people. That's why Israel's important. Israel, it's not just about going to this ancient homeland. That's a big part of it. But even before you do that, what you're doing is leaving what you're used to. And now you're out of your character and you've got a fresh, clean slate. Now let me look at the world clean. That's that's really what these Israel trips allow you to do. And now we're going to explore some subject matters about life that you haven't been able to explore. Or if you have explored them, you've explored them on a backdrop that's already kind of full. You know what I mean? Like, let's give you a clear backdrop to explore these things. And now you explore why is life important? What's really important to me? Why, what really makes me happy? What, you know? And, and incredible things really happen and you discover and, um, and we try to nurture them. Those things in general are, you know, from my experience, are soulful. I think uh, from the conversations I've had in the couple of prep meetings that I've had with the other guys that are going, I get a sense that the people I've talked to are really ready for something like that. They, They want it. This is not a guy's trip to another country. This is a different it's a different thing. It's not a vacation. It's a different thing. Yeah. Clearly. 
It's about a, it's a inner exploration. And it's kind of cool what you said because literally we're 11 guys riding around in a bus and it's kind of like you haven't done that since you were kids. Yeah, you know, it's going to be more. Actually, we're going to add another group. I think that's a Canadian group. So we'll have like Wait a minute. Not, nobody told me about this. Oh, we're riding with Canadians? <laughs> I don't know if it's Canadians. I don't know who it is. That was the last time. I'm kidding. I'm sure I'm sure they're I'm sure they're cool. Yeah. I'm really looking forward to it and I'm excited to participate in this and, you know, uh trying to leave out expectations and try, like you said, to be a blank slate and to be open and kind of take it in. Yeah. Because I've never been there before and I've never really done anything quite like this. Yeah. So there's so many different parts of it because on the one hand, you're in a different, you're in the Middle East. So culturally, there's a big difference. Then you're, you know, kind of discovering a religion, which is different than culture, right? Within it. And that religion happens to be your religion. So you're discovering a part of yourself, which you inherently know is a part of yourself in this, you know, foreign land. And, and then you discover it's really yours all along. And it's really, um, I think surprising often that it catches you a little bit by surprise, you know, and, um, because you're discovering yourself, you know, and I actually thought there was a point in my religious development where I thought it would actually take me away from being myself. Like I can't become too religious or I won't be able to play tennis anymore. I love tennis, you know, but I found the exact opposite. And what I've actually recently said, which is really something very beautiful, I often was worried that as I aged, maybe this infatuation and love for Judaism and Jewish practice would wear off. But the truth is, is the opposite has happened. I've been more and more convinced of the beauty of our tradition, um, really the wisdom of our tradition. And um, it's something that, uh, you know, I share with as many people as I can. And it's really you know, I don't know, enhanced my life, made my life, you know, the way that I want my life to be. I'm surrounded with people that are, live noble lives. They want to do good things in the world. They want to help people in the world. You know, they want to be honest. And when you're surrounded with people like that, you feel a sense of belonging, of to goodness and, you know, and you're contributing to a, a better world. It's a pretty powerful thing. I think so. Yeah. <laughs> I'm, I'm really excited. Yeah. To go. And I am grateful that this opportunity has presented itself. Yeah. And I was thinking, you know, at some point after the trip, maybe we get together and kind of do this again. Yeah. So we could talk about it from the perspective of having... I'll interview you. (laughs) Okay. All right. I mean, I think it would be kind of cool to do that. Yeah. Because um, you're going to experience it for yourself of, you know, sometimes it's a little hard to articulate too when you get back what it is or, you know, sometimes people may not have that experience. My experience so far has not been that. Almost every single person I've taken is very moved in the same way and it's the same with our Shabbat table too it's really interesting and we're 
we're not really doing anything magical there. There's no like, you know, wizardry, you know, we're, it's togetherness. It's laughing and singing together. And like, I think you said it so beautifully when you talked about um, bringing your humanity, you know, and just being human together. And that is life. That's life. And, uh, you know, we get so stuck in our day to days, we need to transcend. And, you know, so people come to my, our shop, I say my, my wife and I's Shabbos table. And we, uh, it's that Shabbos table when I was 22 years old after the comedians, when I went to that poor people's house, right? When you go to a Shabbat table, the first thing the man does is sings Shalom Aleichem. Shalom Aleichem. Kind of gets everybody calm, you know, like comfortable. And then he stands up and he sings to his wife. This is a song that King Solomon wrote for his mother. Talks about a woman of valor. And uh, so we stand up and we sing to our wives. Actually, one of the lines, it says, Kamu vanavasua. Her children rise up and praise her. So I saw this in Israel and the kids got up and they said, we love you, Ima. We love you, mom. And I said, I want that. So every single Shabbos, since I've married my wife, I sing that song. And when it gets there, Kamu vanavasua, our children, myself, we stand up and we say, we love you, Ima. Every single week. Doesn't matter if we're fighting. Doesn't matter, right? I sing the song and I tell her I love her. And um, and that does something to a family when you do that every week and you sing together and, and you tell each other you love each other. And um, that's what I saw back there, you know, which I didn't see in the comedy clubs. What I saw clearly when I went to Israel and that family. And I said, I want that for my family. And I did build it for my family. And when people come and they see our family, they're pretty surprised by it. They, they want it also. And what's really incredible is people that have a lot of money and big houses, it doesn't matter how big your house is, if you don't have that love and you don't have that singing and you don't have that humanity, it's empty. It's just a big house. <laughs> so, you know, for us, traveling to Israel was really about building a home. That's what it is for me in a real way and it's soul. Well, that's beautifully articulated. Thank and you. I really appreciate you taking time from your very busy schedule, especially <laughs> this time of year, to uh, come out here and do this with me. Oh, I'm, I'm, I'm really grateful for it and I'm looking forward to... Hopefully I'll put it on my website and I'll... Yeah. <laughs> I'm looking forward to the things to come. It's, uh... Yeah, we'll do more. You're, you're, gonna, you're only just starting to see, you know. And I, I think, you know... I feel, my name is Baruch, I feel blessed. That's what Baruch means, is blessing. You know, to be able to kind of shepherd these types of things. It's the same like a wedding, you know, even, believe it or not, a funeral. You know, you stand with people and you bring them through this spiritual experience. And uh, it's really an honor for me. And, uh, yeah, so that's what it's about. Amazing. Yeah. Well, again, thank you so much for okay. coming out and spend some time Went with quick. me doing this. And, uh, yeah, it's been